Ag State of Mind, episode 35. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. Hello and welcome back to Ag State of Mind. I'm your host, Jason Meadows, and we are part of the Global Ag Network. Today on the show, we wrap up our series Across the River, featuring folks from over in Illinois. And I had the pleasure to speak with Josie Rodolfi this past week. Um, Josie is an assistant professor of agriculture and biological engineering at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana. Um, she has a really wonderful story and she's doing some really wonderful work and I believe our paths crossed over Twitter through mutual contacts and um, I just got really dove into some of the work that she's been doing and let me tell you guys it's remarkable she is she is top-notch in the stuff that she's doing and you know you'll find out she um, maybe challenges a few things that we have been talking about especially when it comes to a little bit of telemedicine or uh maybe internet medicine as far as going to counseling and that sort of thing. Um, you know, she, uh, it's some, she's had some really wonderful findings. So really excited for everyone to get to hear her story and, you know, what she's been doing here today. So, uh, I really appreciate everyone sticking with me and going through this across the river series. It's really cool to me to be able to reach out across the river, like I did and talk to these these girls from Illinois and find out that, you know, they are going through some really tough times over there. Um, you know, like I, like I've talked about in previous episodes, Missouri's completely open. We, um, you know, for better or worse, um, we are, we're moving forward and kind of Illinois is staying there, um, with, with regards to COVID-19 restrictions. And, you know, it's tough. Um, I'm sure it's tough for them. And, uh, but I just wanted everybody to know that I'm thinking of you and no matter where you are in the country, I'm thinking of you. We're all in this together. And, you know, if you want to reach out, want someone to help you just reach out to that person, whoever it may be. So again, I appreciate y'all sticking with us and, uh, excited to hear this wrap up with Josie Rodolfi. Josie, thank you for coming on today. I appreciate your your time tonight. It's really cool to get to talk to you. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah. So I think the first time I, I know we've connected over Twitter, um, but the first time I really, I think, really dove into some of the work that you've been doing is when I talked to uh, Megan Shasau on a pod, previous podcast and she had mentioned some of the work and, you know, your name kind of caught my caught my ear when she talked. So I looked it up and wow, you're doing some really, really great stuff. And congratulations for all the really cool stuff that you're doing. Well, thank you. And thank you for everything you're doing. I think this podcast is awesome. I think bringing attention to farmer mental health is super important and we need platforms like this and people like you who are willing to talk about it. Well, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's been a really cool experience. So um, just to start off, I always kind of start the same way, but I want everyone to, if they don't know you, for you to explain mm -hmm. who you are, how you grew up, if you were involved in ag and then kind of what got you to where you are today. Good question. So, um, 
I am an assistant professor and extension specialist at the University of Illinois, Champaign-Urbana. I've been here for about a year. Before that, I uh, worked at the National Farm Medicine Center in central Wisconsin. Um, and before that, I had lived in Iowa my whole life. So I grew up on a, for a farm in central Iowa, um, corn and soybeans for most of my life. We had hogs in the 90s like everyone did and then got out of that, I think, thankfully. Um, though that was probably one of the more defining points um, in my career when I think back, um, kind of what that meant for our family. I, I was like a farm kid and I did 4-H and I did FFA. And as farm kids do, I went to Iowa State University and I majored in ag education and I was a high school ag teacher for a while. And then I, I got really interested in farm safety and I thought, why do so many children get hurt on the farms and adults? Why do we get hurt on this farm? So I did my PhD at the University of Iowa in agricultural safety and health, and I was still really interested in, in traumatic injury and hearing loss. And it wasn't until I moved to Wisconsin in 2017 that I was just sort of inundated with the media stories that we all have read. Popular press had picked up a lot of number of like a lot of articles about farm suicide and, and farm mental health. And I thought, what's happening in this space? And I kind of started to dig around and I thought, kind of reflected back on my own experiences growing up on a farm. And I thought we need more people in this space doing this work. So I've really focused um, on the research, trying to really identify the prevalence of anxiety and depression in the population mm -hmm. and, and tease through the, the suicide data that we do have and sort of think about what that means. Um, and then think about what interventions are most suitable for the farm population. So I've, I've been from Iowa to Wisconsin to Illinois, so I have a good grasp on Midwestern agriculture, and, and I really value all of those experiences, and I think they're, as we talk about farm stress and mental health, it certainly um, contributes to that lens that I think I can see through. Yeah, and you said something there that I, it kind of piqued my interest, and in. you're talking about how your family got, you know, you stopped in the hogs, like most people did in the 90s, out of sheer necessity mm -hmm. um and you kind of feel like it shaped who you are a little bit did i hear that right i think it was a very defining moment in our family's farm operation um i, I tell people i remember and i don't know if this is something i've fabricated in my mind but I, i'm convinced i remember what i was wearing when my dad said we're not doing this anymore right like and and we were pig people like my first mm -hmm. men on the farm were like helping to process pigs and my brother showed pigs and we, that's kind of what we did. And he had always, he was a crop farmer also. We're always in Iowa. Um, but then thinking back, I could see, you know, in my role today, I look back on that experience and I could see the stress in my parents and I could see the decision, the hard decisions they were forced to make. And I know some people don't experience that. Um, but I certainly, I think our kitchen table was the boardroom and, and mm -hmm. we were family and, um, you know, you can certainly feel those emotions as a child. And so when we talk about farm stress and we talk about the people who experience this, I think um, we'd be naive to not have a conversation around children and what and how these situations impact them um, and being cognizant of that and, and making sure that we're doing what's right for children also, in addition to our, our sort of primary producer group. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's something else that I, I, talk, I, I remember talking to Megan Shasso about this. You know, we, we oftentimes do focus on the producer, focus on the primary farmer, which 
absolutely is important and crucial. But we don't, sometimes we, I think, kind of forget the people who, you know, are indirectly affected, the wife or the husband, whoever, mm-hmm. the, the, whoever may or may not be an off-farm spouse, the children, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it, th- those people are just as affected by this, even though they may not experience the, the primary uh, emotions, they are, they're still affected by them. Um, and it, it's really important to, to focus on them. Absolutely. And I think even beyond that, you know, agriculture is still such an important thread in the tapestry of rural. And so you think about that ripple effect to small business in ag, in ag communities. And, and even uh, we know that bankers carry a burden, right, because they're denying loans and then they go home with that. And um, so thinking about how it impacts our much larger agricultural community, um, in addition to, of course, the primary producer who's certainly is carrying the burden of the stress. Yeah, no, I, I I talk about this that often too. Is, is ag is the communities are built around it, you know. So I mean, like you talk about that. You talked about the ripple effect, and you know, something goes down, then this goes down. We were talking about, it and we'll uh, Carrie, my wife and I were talking about this before you and I hopped on here, and we were talking about the effects of Cardinals closing down uh, the the stadium. And, you know, how is that going to affect, you know, the restaurants, the bars, the parking, the hotels, same sort of thing in agriculture. Mm -hmm. It may not, you know, I I always use our local sale barn, for example, where my dad used to, used to own and something, you know, goes down there. They're not able to have a sale. Well, that's going to affect the restaurants. There's people who come overnight and stay at the hotels, Mm -hmm. um, gas stations, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's this huge ripple effect and that's just one you know, sale barn in South Central Missouri, you know, I mean, not to, you know, not these huge crop farms up North. Um, so it's just, it, it's, it's, it's a very far reaching and something I don't think until now for me, at least that I've really, I've really thought much about. Mm-hmm. And I think thinking about how connected we are only underscores the importance for like community mental health intervention, right. And like making sure that a community is prepared and not just training one or two people or making sure that there's one person in the community who can help, making sure that there's community capacity because we're all connected. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you led into you know what I was going to talk to you about next, and that's about your work you did up in Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. you did this study, um, and you talked about how farmers, producers, want to have that face-to-face connection and and I've talked about this before you know thinking that maybe the you know one of the key steps to ending uh the rural mental health crisis or at least helping with it is getting more telemedicine or more access to broadband internet which obviously we were talking about too you know because of my poor internet here Mm -hmm. but um you know but you I think some of your findings I mean not not saying that that's not true but maybe challenges that little bit in saying that farmers want more one-on-one real person interaction. So, I mean, what did you extrapolate from, from your data? I think you did a nice job of summarizing it. So we surveyed farmers in, in Wisconsin um, and we identified who and how you want your mental health information. We were preparing to train ag professionals in mental health first aid. Um, We'd received some money and we were going to do mental health first aid trainings because we had heard from bankers. I want to be trained. I'm, 
I feel like I have to have these conversations and I don't feel prepared. Um, and we said, that's great. Like, let's make sure that you're the person who should be sending the message and communicating this with farmers. So we surveyed farmers in, in Wisconsin. And we said, who do you want your information from and how do you want it? And just like you said, the people they want mental health information from are their closest circle, their friends, their families, or their trusted health professionals. And sort of those people in between, the egg banker, no. The attorneys, no. Which, when you really think about it, that's not that surprising. Do you want to get right. like mental health advice from your attorney? No. Of course not, yeah. <laughs> your accountant, no. Um, your salesman, your seed salesman, not really. So it's kind of the people that are closest to you and furthest from you that you'd really want to have those conversations with. And then like you said, they still really value face-to-face -face communication. And I think that was a little surprising. And I was most surprised at how unpopular hotlines were um, because we see a lot of talk about hotlines and right, right. momentum behind hotlines and how, and how even, you know, teletherapy options weren't super popular. However, there is, I think there's, there's a caveat there and that's that um, we have to realize our sample was the mean age was 58. So as farmers, as younger farmers come into the picture, I think it's important to consider, you know, what they might, how their perspectives of technology might change. And we didn't ask a really important question, which was, do you have access to broadband and the necessary internet capabilities to deliver telehealth? Because it's very possible that they said, we're not interested in telehealth because we can't even watch YouTube, right? So it certainly raises interesting questions about the need um, and the potential for, for broadband and then the opportunities for telehealth. Yeah. And so I think like almost seems to me like is maybe we're fighting a two-front war where we have the older generation the average farmer who you may think of is the 58 year old man from the midwest who wants nothing to do with sitting in front of a computer with a person mm -hmm. who may or may not be three states away you know i mean i guess not because there's state licenses that have to be adhered to but but you know you may or may not know them may or, you know so i mean i feel like someone my age would be more comfortable with that so let's let's break that down a little bit like how do we do this how do we fight like this two front war in where we're almost having two different populations you know where we're where we're dealing with this that's a good question and i think it comes we have to have this sort of multimodality approach um Younger people, and we'll call them what they are, millennials, like the mm -hmm. first generation, right? Mm -hmm. We are pretty tech comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. we, mm -hmm. and, and even beyond that, we're pretty comfortable talking about mental health. It's just, it's a generational change that's coming as younger people come to adulthood. So I think there's opportunity for telehealth and there's a need for those sorts of things. And then I think there's also a need in targeting what you might, you know, what we consider the traditional farmer, somebody who's very self-sufficient who is very independent, we need to make sure that they are equipped with the skills to, I don't want to say take care of it on their own, um, but make sure that they're equipped with some of those coping strategies and stress management skills um, so that when they notice um, changes in behavior, changes in mood, um, they can start to implement those on themselves. Because again, they're very independent. They're very, uh, they can fix anything and everything, um, but we have to give them the tools we expect them to, to make small changes in themselves, I think. Yeah. And that make, you, you bring up a very inter interesting point and you talk about coping mechanisms and you sent me the handout that mm -hmm. you had prepared, which by the way is 
absolutely wonderful. It looks well, very you. nice. Uh, I can't take credit for like the design. There was a, a very skilled uh, like graphic designer who was able to make all of this look really cute, but um, and appealing to the eye. Sure, sure. But it was, it, I mean, it was really well done. And there was some really, really interesting information on that. And let's talk about coping mechanisms mm -hmm. a little bit, because, um, you know, it's not a one size fits all type approach. And, uh -huh. you know, what works for me may not work for, you know, my dad or my brothers or may not work for my kids in a few years, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it, it, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So it's a great conversation. I love to talk about coping. And like, if we define it, and I'll read this, coping is really dealing effectively with something difficult, right? So mm -hmm. we can all imagine healthy coping, what that looks like, and then really unhealthy coping. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's like a lot easier to cope in an unhealthy way. But those are typically more fun, right? Like overeating, oversleeping, those sorts of things. But I like to encourage um, four types of coping, and um, I've only rearranged them into an acronym that I think is helpful for farm and, and agricultural folk, and that is, I call it HERDS, and it's H-E-R-D, and I actually add an S to it sometimes, um, but it stands for Hobbies, Exercise, Relaxation, Diversion, and Social Support, and it's really fun to have a conversation with farmers about hobbies, exercise, relaxation, and diversion, um, and we try, I keep it really conversational. I ask, honestly, how many of you have a hobby? And a few people raise their hands and, and um, I say, no, farming can't be a hobby. Like your job cannot be your hobby. Um, that's one rule. And I make a joke and I say the only other rule to a hobby is that it has to be very expensive. <laughs> because when you think about hobbies, like some people's hobbies are traveling or, mm -hmm. um, you know, doing really, really expensive activities, skiing. Well, there's an incredibly golf, right? Like we can think of it. What about, what about podcasting? Podcast, I don't put, well, <laughs> this is Believe my work me. computer, yeah. <laughs> Believe me. it's a terrific it's, hobby. I think it's a terrific <laughs> hobby. Not super expensive maybe, well, but. Yeah, it uh, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> when your office is falling apart. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's, it's fun then to have conversations about what are hobbies, how can we, and I'm the same way. I'm like, oh, that sounds like work. That sounds expensive. That sounds kind of boring. I mean, I can get into a pretty a place where I'm not really open to hobbies either. But we talk about how the farm environment lends itself to some hobbies. Um, and we talk about how gardening is a great hobby. And I tell the story of, of my parents who my father has just started gardening. And, and he one year grew way too many tomatoes. And that led to canning, right? And now canning is a hobby. And like tomato sauce and salsa, these are hobbies now. And some people restore tractors or they build birdhouses or children's play sets. And so thinking about um, what are things you can do to keep busy that you enjoy that's low cost and provide you some, like I said, enjoyment. And that's really all a hobby has to be. And there's a lot of evidence that suggests spending two hours a week doing something creative, non-work related is incredibly good um, for, our, for our brain health. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, hobbies are super important and, you know, and I think I'll, I'll add a little bit to that because I think what you mentioned gardening, you know, that's just one example for me, a lot of it is, and you mentioned this as far as being a, uh, a 4-H and FFA kid, you know, we have, we have six fair animals. I mean, mm -hmm. that's not, a, that's a hobby for sure. Cause, and because it's something that 
it's separate from the farm, but you know, you get to involve your kids in it, you know? So, I mean, that's a family hobby for sure. For sure. It is (laughs) absolutely. So, I mean, like, yes, it doesn't have to be, you know, or it doesn't have, it shouldn't be, you know, farming is my hobby. Um, but it can be related to it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, we already have the farm, like you said, in some cases, it really lends itself to some of these hobbies and we'll do, yeah, show lambs on the side or, or bucket bottle calves, or we'll, you know, raise interesting animals for, for delicious meat or something like that. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really, if you think outside the box, it's, um, it's pretty, you know, you, you can go pretty far with it and you can get pretty interesting with it. I have a, a good friend. She started making candles as a hobby in her kitchen and now she has a business. Yeah. So we Isn't that funny? Hustles all the time. Like, sure. All these opportunities that just take a little like elbow grease, which farmers have a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just telling yourself, giving yourself the time to do it and saying, it's okay for me to take two hours on a Saturday afternoon and do this for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So the next, the next thing is, is, and this is something that super important at our place is exercise. Mm -hmm. I have really, I mean, I've always been a weightlifter last couple of years. I've been a runner, but my wife is a personal trainer. She's a yoga instructor. Um, Exercise is super important around here. So a lot of times that's not something that is prioritized among farm families. So how, I mean, how do we get that? How do we, how do you hit that home for those people? Yeah. So I, I mean, I don't like to exercise that much either. The weights are incredibly heavy. Um, your house sounds exhausting. Um, <laughs> I can't imagine living there, but no, I, I say that as a joke, of course, but um, it's a, fun it, it, is, it is exhausting. Believe me. <laughs> Um, it's an interesting conversation. And I ask how many of you can honestly say you prioritize exercise and, and a few people actually raise their hands. And and I say like, how many of you are committed to doing CrossFit seven days a week? And like, obviously no one raises their hands, including me. I would never do that seven days a week. Um, and so I think we have an honest conversation about what exercise looks like. Um, and we go through, I found a hundred free exercises on YouTube, um, or free ways to exercise on YouTube. One of them is like going to a free nightclub and dancing. <laughs> uh, one of them was gold panning. That's like great for your quads. Um, hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous, right? And and that's when you look at free exercise, some of them are just hilarious. Um, so we start thinking about what's realistic. And, and that's the thing is when we talk about herds, it has to be something that's individually achievable. Right. I said, CrossFit six days a week. No, thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. talk about what mild exercise looks like. And like I said, it doesn't have to be CrossFit. That's like the most arduous exercise I can imagine. Um, Right. That's because it is. (laughs) I've never done it, but it just looks like you're moving tired. But when we say exercise, we really just mean 20 to 30 minutes in a heart rate zone above resting. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's a walk. A walk. Um, Right. That's walking your beans. Mm -hmm. That's like walking... Uh, to get the mail for some people who are, you know, way out there. Um, so it, it doesn't have to be exhausting and arduous. And I think when we have these conversations in small groups of farmers, you learn that some people are truly innovative and they built a new shop and so they put up a basketball hoop, right? And now there's a couple of guys who come over and play basketball on a Thursday evening when you can. Um, sure. Thinking about 
things like that. How do you get families involved and how do you have um, a, a kickball game with your kids or, you know, even playing catch with your kids, right? How do you just get families invested in health like yours is and make it again achievable and realistic and not cross it? Yeah, right. And for something, something, another thing that I didn't even like think about would be exercise is, you know, we started uh, one of our farms with some of our heifers this year. We, we, we did strip grazing, which involved moving hot wire fence mm-hmm. every, every day or every other day to, you know, fresh grass, try to do a better utilization of the grazing. But what I like, what I didn't realize I would get out is how much I actually enjoy just getting out there and walking the ground, being outside, you know, just. Yeah getting like that like you say it run or it exercise doesn't have to be going to a gym at 6 a.m and lifting weights for two hours um you know it can be simple as a walk up your driveway or you know walk through your beans walk through your fields you know it doesn't absolutely the the simpler the better because when it's simpler it's much more achievable Mm -hmm. and i think i mean i remember growing up my parents they still do they go for a walk almost every evening when it's nice right and we Mm -hmm. bring Mm -hmm about a half mile actually on both sides and they just walk to bridge and come back and it takes, you know, 20 minutes. And, and I think when we, that's a good, really good sort of um, segue into thinking about relaxation and diversion. Mm-hmm. You said um, walking, you enjoy just that process of moving the fence. That's you're probably in a state of sort of reflection and relaxing, um, but you feel like you're doing something, which is like win-win, right? Because, right. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're not just like being lazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, being able, like, I look at all of this, you know, heard makes, illustrates this really well, is I look at this as like a holistic approach. And over the last several years, I've really tried to make those kind of approaches in my life where everything is holistic and Mm -hmm. everything is, you know, one part of my life affects the other part of my life, you know, and, you know, the way we our hobbies and our exercise that definitely relates to how we relax or, uh, you know, us being able to relax affects the exercise and mm-hmm. the, and, and the health, uh, I'm sorry, the hobbies. So, I mean, it's all like, it's all an all encompassing thing. Absolutely. And I think it even lends itself then. And, and I think showing cattle is like a great example because if you want mm-hmm. cattle, which I know you have, that can be a workout mm-hmm. you know? and it's your hobby to show cattle. And then there's a social component to that. And there's mm-hmm. relax. We talk about vacation as a really important way to relax and doing the show circuit in the summer with your families. I'm sure something you guys do, right? So you're really hitting on all of these. Um, and like you said, in a real holistic approach. Yeah. Like we were talking about with exercise, the simpler, the better, mm-hmm. the, the easiest is always best, you know? So, I mean, it, it may take some like the the preparation of it may be like you know may take some planning and you know trying to and and that's that's something i want to like really kind of like bring this home in is a lot of people will say yes all of this sounds great but what if i don't have the time yeah like that's one of the things i hear a lot when we talk about yeah i would love to can i'd love Mm -hmm. to garden i'd love to go for a run but I don't have time. I've got so much going on. What do you say to those type of people? What do you say to when somebody says that to you? Yeah, when there's always there's always somebody in the crowd, right? Who's like, I, mm-hmm. there's no time for any of this. And and I admit, like, I understand the cycle of agriculture, the seasonality of it. 
And I would admit there are seasons where you don't have the time, but there have to be seasons where you do have some time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have some time, and then I would say, if you don't have the time, that's concerning, right? You have to, we have to be able to make 20 minutes for ourselves in a day um, to do something besides work, because then you're going to have much more complicated health conditions if we don't prioritize ourselves in some sense. Yeah. And it's a, uh, I always talk about, it's a proactive versus reactive type of mentality. And, you know, it's way easier to prevent a problem than it is to treat one. Mm -hmm. Um, You are, it's so like, I always, one of these things I remember saying, because my dad was a smoker. And like one of the things I used to hear saying, like one of the easiest ways to quit smoking is to never start. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's one of the, I mean, like you can use that same, same sort of mentality to think about this sort of, this sort of thing in that, yes, I mean, maybe you doesn't feel like you have time, but it's so much easier to enjoy your life and mm-hmm. be happy than to, you know, be stressed out all the time and, you know, make life all about work, all about farming, all about, um, all about that part of it without, you know, adding some diversification there. That's what I like to talk talk about is diversify your, diversify your life, diversify your personality. And that's so brilliant because we told farmers for the longest time, diversify Mm -hmm. to succeeding in agriculture. And this is no different. You have to diversify your life. That's the key to succeeding and staying healthy and happy, I think. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely applicable. Awesome. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. That's what we say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, my wife always gets me with this because, you know, we always, there's always a gate left open Mm -hmm. or, you know, something. So there's cows in the yard or running down the road. I mean, that happens a lot more than I'd really like to admit around our place. And she's, you know, that's her thing. It's like, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a, you know, mm-hmm. a pound of pain. Yeah. <laughs> so she, uh, she uh, always, that's like one of a, one of her key go-to sayings. Mm-hmm. To, it's so <laughs> she applicable. Like it's under my it's skin perfect. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, very cool. Well, Josie, I really appreciate your time here tonight. I want to be respectful of it. I know you are a busy woman. We've both had busy weeks here, we have, so it, yeah. it, it was been a, it's been really great to be able to see you for one and talk to you. And uh, you, you are such an asset to this space and getting people to talk about these things more and making it making it okay you know getting it out in front of people at 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 places that is that are comfortable Mm -hmm. to them so congratulations to you you're doing a wonderful job well thank you i appreciate that and i think you're doing a wonderful job also i think we have to have as many people advocating for mental health as possible yeah we we absolutely do and you know i think a lot of people feel like they're they want to be like they're in this rush to be this first person who does something or they want to be the go-to person in this but in reality you know it's an abundance versus scarcity mindset and you know the more people we have pulling on this rope the easier it's going to be for each one of us so it's 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 super important that we all work together on this I agree completely. I would hate to be doing this alone, right? Like, could you imagine? That'd be so much work. So much work. So much I know. Work. And yeah, yeah and it's it's too important to have one person working on it. Right, and like you know, I think about like my podcast. Like, 
if there was nobody else doing this kind of work, how hard would this be? But like, <laughs> thankfully, it's been super easy because yeah. I've been to talk, be able to talk to so many people. And it's, it's honestly refreshing. And it's given me a lot of hope for, you know, for the future of agriculture, because yeah. there are so many people pulling on this rope. Absolutely. I think there's going to be really exciting things happen in the next couple of years in terms of, of programming and research and um, what we're able, hopefully what we're able to provide our, our farm families. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So where can people find you online if they want to get in contact with you yeah. and find out some of the work that you're doing? Absolutely. So I'm, of course, on um, all the social medias. My name is Josie Rudolphy. Um, on Twitter, I'm just Josie underscore Rudolphy. Um, and then you can contact me by email at any time. Um, my email is josier at illinois.edu. Perfect. Very oh. cool. I've got to ask, did you, so like what college did you grow? Did you, you went to Iowa State. I like, went to Iowa And then State. you went to Iowa and now you're at University of Illinois. So like. I'm like very confused. Yeah. That's very, and you were in Wisconsin too. Like, yeah. I mean, like, is there like some kind of like punch card for the Big Ten or what? <laughs> I joke I'm on my Midwestern tour, but. Not very many. People don't always laugh at that. They're like, okay, well, you just look a little like lost if you're being honest. Um, no, I, so I'm a cyclone. I have always been a cyclone, right. but I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate, I was one of the, one of the few people in Iowa who really went to Iowa and Iowa state. Um, and I mm -hmm. appreciate them both for what they are, but um, if the cyclones played a Hawkeyes in anything, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Cardinal and gold for sure. Yeah. This, this big 10, this Illinois team, like just surprises us and just shakes the whole town up. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of them too. Yeah. It's actually kind of cool to be like, again, we talk about diversifying, you know, if yeah. cyclones are having a bad year, you know, we're, we're in Missouri. It's kind of tough for us because we've only got one D one team, Yeah, you know, it's just Mizzou. And like if the last couple of years, things have been really shoddy for us. So yeah. uh, it's not been, it's not been fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was a cyclone. I, I am a cyclone. Oh, I'm sure you know. Yeah. yeah. We can, I can empathize. Like, yeah. Have, I'll ask, like, have you engaged some of your coping skills? <laughs> <laughs> I know disappointment. Like, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I remember. <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Yeah. That, I mean, college sport like used to like when I was a like probably my early 20s if you wanted to get me in a really good mood or really bad mood it just depend on what tigers were doing that day there you go. <laughs> yep. Yep. so all right well very cool Josie I really appreciate your time here tonight thank and, you so much uh, I look forward to hopefully getting to work more together down yes, the road and maybe meeting in real life sometime yeah, if the, if there's like if that like ever actually happens yeah. again, like yeah. uh, hopefully it's not like all you know floating heads forever. Yeah. So maybe we'll actually have like you know ag conferences again someday. Someday. Someday, right? And they'll be they'll be beautiful. <laughs> right. All right. <laughs> all right have well, a good very night. cool. Thanks, Josie. See ya. So next month we are going to be going with a little bit different sort of theme. Um, as you know, May was Mental Health Awareness Month, but what you may also not know is May was also National Beef Month. And as most of you know, I am a very passionate beef producer, a cow-calf producer, something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, it is my role in agriculture. So we are going to be taking the month of June and speaking directly to beef producers um, about how COVID-19 has been impacting them, how maybe they have changed their 
their ways a little bit, maybe um, how they've stayed the same. Um, just, just I'm trying to get a number of different perspectives. And this, um, this series may spill over into July a little bit. I'm not sure. I've got several people already recorded and lined up for this. Um, but I've also got talked to several other people and I'm, I, this may go a little bit further. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure how long this series will run, but uh, it's going to be at least through the month of June. So um, next week, we are talking to my friend Ryan Goodman. You may know Ryan as the Beef Runner on Instagram and Twitter. Um, he has a great podcast, a great blog, and is a wonderful advocate for the beef industry. Um, we talked to him a little bit about the beef supply chain issues, about what is going on um, with the pack houses and the um, you know meat at the grocery store. I think it's going to ease some concerns of, that a lot of people have. So very excited to talk to Ryan. Ryan and I met at um, Cattleman's Convention back in, I believe it was February in San Antonio. So uh, really cool to get to talk to him again today on the or next week. I'm sorry on the podcast. So thanks for thanks for hanging with me. I appreciate your time here today as always, and uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.